Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex Podcast. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And here he is, the man himself. He's been to every race since 1988. It's Joe Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Hello, am I unmuted? Yes, you are. I've done it this time. I successfully unmuted oh. you. <laughs> very, very good. I'm very well, thank you. I'm wintering quietly in rural France, and it's nice. Very I, nice. I, I like the term wintering, very much a gardening term. Are you being watered? Are you being fed? Uh, I actually like, in the winter, to do lots of cooking myself. So, Ooh. Um, I am a yeah. It's a creative activity, you know. So um, I quite like doing it, and um, I've been doing a bit of that. And I haven't been doing much gardening because the weather's been so horrible. But uh, it was snowing here a few days ago. Made a snowman. So oh well, not just good. for me, not not just for me and the missus, but for some small people as well. You should you should make that clear. You should have led with the fact that there was grandchildren there, and it wasn't just you and your wife making snowmen. Not that there would be anything wrong with that at your age. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with 50-something-year-old people making snowmen, if they want to. No, exactly. Um, I although, get... although I'm sure there I'm sure there are people on social media who would find a reason that why it was wrong, but there you are. Now, now, we, ha- <laughs> we, we had that rant very much off-air, Joe. We're, we're going to speak of happier things, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to fire straight into some questions I collect, collected in our Patreon Slack group, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Very oh, good. It would have been no awkward problem. if you'd have said no. Uh, uh, so, Lucas kicks off with the first topic i was going to ask you about anyway which races should we be expecting to be in danger of being cancelled and what could replace them tom followed up with uh, given that 
this this is the second, third, and maybe fourth or fifth wave. Um, and given that the vaccine rollout is is also under strain in some places, what races? that require spectators are most at risk. Also, with the mess going on in the Australian Open right now, there are rumblings that protocols from last season may not be as effective with the new virus variant. So a a few different points there. But what it boils down to is which tracks are, are at risk? Can they run without competitors? Is there the money to keep supporting the tracks that usually would need to have full grandstands to operate? I think the ones that are risk are the ones that have to spend a lot of money uh, to build the racetrack. So obviously, uh, Australia, um, that was one of the biggest problems time-wise and financially. They lost a lot of money last year and they couldn't really, because it's public money, they can't afford to do it again. So, um, you know, they had to be, uh, in fact, they were were all gung-ho, but the government stopped them doing it. So, um, you know, you've got to take into account governments as well. So it's very difficult to predict what will happen. But obviously, the ones who would be at most risk are the ones that have to invest in order to attract people. There are others who don't have to invest as much, but they still need the people. They still need the bums on seats, uh, like Silverstone um, and like Paul Ricard. You know, there's no additional money. Um, They might be able to squeeze some out of local governments to... yeah to uh to uh fill a gap if there aren't enough people there or they're not allowed to have enough people but it's not it's not 100% uh definite i think that formula 1 needs to look a little bit at its business model uh with the pandemic we don't know how long the pandemic's going to go on for we don't know how long uh we don't know how successful these vaccination programs will even be you know, Britain is is rolling out their vaccine very fast, uh, as I understand. The, the business model of, of Formula One is we don't know how long the pandemic is going to last for. We don't know how successful the vaccines are. Um, that's the sort of speech I was halfway through. And, uh, you know, Britain has, has rolled out the vaccine very quickly, apparently. But it's, you know, the efficiency of the vaccine is like, uh, 30%, well, not 30% less, but it's it's 25% less than the one they're doing in Europe. So you know, who knows? Um, just rolling out any old vaccine doesn't necessarily, is not necessarily going to help matters at all. So we, we need to wait and see. We need to see what the variants are, et cetera, et cetera. So in the overall scheme of things, I think that Formula One would be very wise to look at ways of maintaining revenue streams Um not relying on race fees to the same level as before. That's difficult, but it's not impossible because uh, I think I think the way to, to go forward would be over-the-top delivery of content direct to consumer. Mm. There's huge amounts of financial um, uh, opportunity there that will allow them to at least get back, if they can do it properly, um, to get to levels that they were at previously. If later on uh, they can add the race fees at the same level back again, well, that's all very well. But doing that would also mean that the the sport can go racing where they want to go racing and not where they have to go racing because of the money. You know, some places we want to be and we can't get deals together because no one can afford it. So ultimately, uh, the reliance on race fees is not necessarily a good business model. Um, And... So we need to relax that and find a better way of doing it so that we can go also to it. You know, we can go to um, Portimao, we can go to Imola and Mugello and places like that 
if we're not reliant on the race fee numbers. So, so yeah, you know, there's lot there's lots of positives about moving away from that race fee, uh, the level it's at now, and you know, obviously, um, you know, that was one of the primary uh, pillars of Bernie Eccleston's financial empire. But under under the terms that we live under now, a different world completely. Uh, it's not it's not possible to do that. So, I think we're going to go through. I think twenty twenty one will be a disrupted year. But if you ask me specifically which races, I haven't got a clue any more than I did this time last year. Well, okay, I won't ask you. You just can't. I, actually, you were reasonable. You can't, you can't yeah. say. You can't. You can't say. Uh, sorry for talking you over there, Joe. We've got a slight delay on the line, which makes me think you finished talking. So apologies. Uh, I never do that on purpose. Uh, it's not just no. We need more spanners. Uh, Last year, you did pretty well, actually, calling which races uh, would be able to, to go ahead when we opened up. I think uh, you were very early in calling that North America would would struggle and be very unlikely to put any races on. Uh, you were just talking there about the tracks we would want to go to, and therefore uh, we need to finance w- by having race fees, and then perhaps the ones we have to go to because they generate revenue in other ways. Is it fair to say that the ones we want to go to that you were talking about there is basically Europe, North America? And then some of the the more Australia, and then some of the more um, uh, rich countries that, that pay for tracks. I'm assuming they're the ones you're talking about. I'm talking about strategic thinking as to what is important to to spread the word. And uh, obviously, uh, China. Now, it would be good to have two races in China. Now, people may not want to go to China necessarily, or they may not like this or that. But the fact is that you know, we need to have more races in the US. We need to have more races in China. That is, th- these are things that that uh, Liberty yeah. Media said right from the beginning. Uh, it would be great to have a race in South Africa. Now, in in the current world with the pandemic, most of this is utterly dreaming. So um, the, the 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 concentration on Europe is really just a self protection. You're just having making sure you get to the numbers so the contracts are fulfilled. Um, so people will um, agree to pay the money they've agreed to pay. Now, uh, obviously, there'll be discounts because there'll be there'll be fewer races than originally written into contracts. But you know that's that's where they have to. That's what last year was about was getting to the magic uh, fifteen, sixteen, which everyone you want to believe was the right number. I think it was mm. fifteen myself. But so they got to seventeen, which was an incredible effort, really, if you think about it. Um, but I think you have to look in the same way. I, I would be uh, – I was quite surprised when they didn't – when they announced that Bahrain was going to be the first race. I would have stuck a second Bahrain in there as well, you know, on the short circuit, um, just because you get two done, you know, and, and we don't know where it's going to go mm. later in the year. We don't know if the vaccines are going to be good. We don't know how uh, the world – of logistics and airlines and everything else is going to be. We've got governments who are going to make life difficult, and quite rightly so, I should add. You know, we shouldn't just condemn governments and say it's wrong that they won't let us go in there. They're trying to protect their people. You know, this is not a joke. And and you know, a lot of people, these deniers out there, are just completely mad. Um, anyone who thinks this isn't serious is it is an absolute idiot and for i mean i don't know how many people know this but i looked it up the other day and was quite astonished by it but as of this week i believe america will pass 
the total of all casualties in World War II. All of its casualties in World War II will be equal by COVID this week. And it's, yes. Think about that for a minute. I can't stop thinking about it, to be honest, Joan. The UK has the (laughs) highest death rate in the world right now. Uh, The just a flu crew take themselves out of the adult conversation when they choose to pipe up. I absolutely agree with you there. That is not an issue of of being biased or unbiased. Uh, However, back to Formula One. Chris Harris in the chat room says, uh, bonjour, Joe, firstly, he says. Um, but also he puts it as strategic tracks, historical tracks and and dollar tracks. Uh, I quite like the way he put that. Yeah, no, it's interesting mm-hmm. to think of F1's strategy. You mentioned uh, over-the-top TV there. Of course, we're still limited by by one of the biggest audiences, the UK audience, still being tied into Sky. So when you say an over-the-top service... Well, hang, you, hang on, hang on, hang on. You mean... You mean- one of the smaller audiences these days because the British audience for Formula One is tiny because of Sky's number of subscribers. It's can, not big. Can I say potential fan base that would watch it if they had access potential to it? Potential fan base, yeah. yes. Okay, that, that yeah. increases it a lot. But yes. Germany is the same. Italy is the same. France is the same. All these countries have gone to pay-per-view with Sky or with uh, Canal Plus or whoever. Um, and, you know, you're talking about writing our 50, 60 million um, fans of Formula One in order to get that extra money. Now, if you can go and do deals with the uh, TV pay TV companies to allow over over the top, or even have them involved in over the top, I don't know how you do it, but you can. It's a balancing act between the, the fees that come in from them and the fees that are potentially there in the long term. And uh, yeah, you know, we just have to we have to find a way of getting to that point because at the moment they're middlemen and they're taking out money. It's as simple as that. You know, in any business model, having a middleman is somebody who takes out money, and that's what Sky and and Canal Plus and all these organisations are doing. They're just taking out money. Well, it sounds like you're calling them scalpers. I would never do that, but uh, yeah, they're not <laughs> calling just... them scalpers. They're doing their business. They're doing the business that they have as a business model, and. You know, it works for them and good for them. But it, it ultimately, it works for Formula One at the moment. Will it work for, for Formula One in the long term? It will up to a point. But when over-the-top streaming becomes so normal that everyone's doing it, they will gradually be edged out of, just as they've edged out the national broadcasters who couldn't afford to pay the fees they were paying, yeah. they will get edged out. When you say normal, F1's probably the only live TV I watch. So I think we're we're getting to that point. Um, speaking of strategic uh, aiming, I, I have it on reasonable authority that Liberty is making a renewed push to promote F1 in a, in America. And like we've long said that, you know, if you could crack the US fan base for F1, that would be absolutely massive. And like on Missed Apex podcast, our biggest audience nationality wise is America. And so... Are Liberty really serious about this push? Uh, people think that... Of course, they, yeah. of course they are, but they can't make it happen without... I mean, Formula One, the nicest will in the world, between the two coasts, um, we're not going to sell a lot of people there. We might sell a few in Indiana, you know. But I don't expect a vast number of Formula One fans from Iowa or Kansas or places like that. The, the, the outward-looking uh, societies of the two coasts, east and west coast, um, who are, you know, imagine, I mean, most Californians you meet, they just love Europe. <laughs> you know? They love European things. They, they, they're, they're cosmopolitan. They like things that are 
that are a bit exotic. They're different. Um, and this is uh, where Formula One can really be successful because Formula One is, is is got everything. It's it's sexy. It's 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 cars. It's it's international. It's cosmopolitan. It's multilingual. It's cool. You F1 know, is cool. We, we don't say that. It. Yeah, we, we have to. We have to sell it to them, <laughs> and we, in order to sell it to them, we need to have ultimately more races that are on time zones that they want to be part of, and that's key. It doesn't actually matter necessarily if we go and race on the streets of New York City. Um, what we have to have is is time zones that work for them, and mm. time zone that work for the West Coast. That's even worse, because if you think about it, you know, from from where I am to the West Coast is a nine hour difference. So if you have a race at two o'clock in the afternoon, which suits everyone in England and, and Europe, uh, it suits everybody in Asia too, but it doesn't suit California because uh, two minus nine equals, uh, 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 that's very early in the morning, isn't it? Yeah. No, so, um, yeah. You, know, you need to find races that it's, it's, it's long been a, a, a problem for Formula One, which is you need to have about 30% of the races in each of the major time zones. So the Americas, um, be that South America, Central America, whatever, uh, in Europe, Africa, Middle East, and then in Pacific. Now, it's not going to work for everybody because no matter what you do, you can't, you can never have a race in Hawaii, for example, because the time zones are just rubbish for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is true. It's yeah. true. So, um, you know, Australia, Japan, Singapore, these kind of places, they'll work for Europe, but won't work for the Americas. But the Americas won't necessarily work for, for those places. So we have to find the right balance. So, um, yeah. Um, oh, sorry, Joe. Thought you'd finished again. So our co-host, uh, no, Matt I have, Trumpets. I, <laughs> you had. Don't know why the delay is so different today. Um, but um, so our co-host in, in Brooklyn doesn't struggle too much, only a few hours behind, so he gets morning races. We have a panellist in Seattle, really struggles uh, keeping up with the F1 community. But I, I have to say, I, I am really sad about the Australian Grand Prix not being an opener. I, I know it's not always the most thrilling Grand Prix, but kind of getting up at 6am or whatever it is to watch the races, it always made me feel like I was part of this kind of elite super fan club and uh and like i could sneer at people who waited for the replay so yeah I don't, I don't mind the odd different time zone and having the american races in the evening is actually pretty good as well sunday night entertainment mm. well i mean the, the, the thing is it you've also got to compete with other shows you know you don't you don't put in in britain you don't put formula one up against coronation sure. street do you because yeah. you're going to lose <laughs> you know <laughs> um uh, or, or in the old days, anyway. I don't know if anyone ever watches Coronations. I don't even know if it's still on, to be honest. I presume it is, but um, you know, it'll be the last thing that sinks into the Atlantic Ocean will be the, the set of Coronation Street. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so we're going to kick off in Bahrain, though, and that actually is there's a positive in that, which is we're likely to kick off with some real good racing. We always seem to get good racing at Bahrain. Yes, I think so. Um, I think that. Uh, I mean, the thing about Bahrain, which which uh, people forget, is they are huge supporters and have been for 20-odd years of Formula One in general. They own McLaren to a large extent. Um, and, you know, they funded the McLaren car company to a large extent. And they have done so much for Formula One. And, and I think that... Um, and last year was a very good example. They held two races. You know, they they did that for Formula One to to help promote Formula One. So, I think that um, supporting them and and uh, 
giving them um, the opening round was was a very sensible idea in the circumstances. And uh, yeah, it's a great racetrack. So got a couple of chat room comments for you here. Uh, at pro at pro says uh, Missouri F one fan here. Uh, 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 oh dear, so, sorry, sorry. There's always one. There's always an outliner liner to make you look silly, Joe. Uh, let's see. Mm. We have got Adam Rosales who says the majority of the VIP people here in Austin have no idea that F1 is on four wheels. So I take it that's Austin Grand Prix he's talking about there. Um, let's see. Uh, Tom says I'm all in for the odd race. That means my wife can't moan at me because <laughs> he is in the from the dirty north of England, he says. So the odd race that's at night time or in the morning means that at least we, we don't have to use up spousal credits uh, to watch those races. Why don't we move on to some more of the questions we got from the Slack group. Uh, you mentioned McLaren there being uh, being helped by Mercedes. Stephen F. asks, how pooched? To help by Bahrain, I think. What did I say? <laughs> Mercedes. Right, sorry, I meant to say Bahrain. I thank you for the correction. I do appreciate that. Stephen F. says, how pooched are McLaren with the Mercedes engines this year? I don't know what pooched means as an adjective, but does that mean perhaps that they are in trouble because they Pooch. are pooched? Yeah. Pooch means dogged. How dogged. dogged are McLaren with the Merck engines this year? Is there any disadvantage for them, do you think? There's a certain amount of disadvantage, probably because they have to learn new things with a new uh, combination, uh, chassis engine combination. It's my missus in the background. Yeah, hello, Mrs. Saywood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um there, there is a disadvantage because they don't have the data that the other teams have. Perhaps an advantage because um, uh, they may have more horsepower than they had with Renault. So we'll have to wait and see. Logically speaking, um, the changing engines is not such a big disaster as it used to be. Um, in as much as they tend to have the same mounting points. Now, I think they have to have the same mounting points. I'd have to read the technical regulations um, again, which I haven't done for a while uh, to verify that. But basically changing an engine, uh, it does change It does change things like centers of gravity and things like that. It's all very technical. So yes, it should, in theory, um, move them backwards a little way, but in, in it might also move them forwards. And that's why they've done it, I think, probably, because they, they think the Mercedes has won for the last X number of years. It seems like a good idea, really, doesn't it? It definitely does. I just think that may, maybe we get to find out a little bit how how much of an advantage that Mercedes engine is because we've got a Mercedes customer team that now no doubt did well last year, third in the constructors last year. McLaren know what they're doing. They're a great outfit. They're about to get what is commonly regarded as the best engine. But do Mercedes make the engine advantage of a Mercedes engine look better than it is? by just being a really good team. Do you know, am I making sense? Sort of, yes. Um, I think the answer is that in terms of um, what you can achieve, if your chassis and engine are integrated, which is what Mercedes can do and the others can't do, I'm yeah. not saying that the engines that they give the others are not as good. I'm sure they are. They're, they're meant to be as good. But the integration of the engine into the chassis it's designed into it at Mercedes, whereas the others have to design around what they're given. And so you have that um, slight disadvantage. Now, in the case of Williams, however, 
you know, they've just managed to waste a Mercedes engine for X number of years. You know, it's just, it's just been appalling where they've been and hopefully they will move forward. Whether or not uh, McLaren become um, uh, better or, or worse than they were previously, I don't know. So there we are. Yeah. Well, just, just for context to the audio listeners, the background noise is you having logs collected. So presumably you're having a log fire this evening, Joe. Well, I, we always have a log fire here. So oh, um, posh. He's, yeah, got, you, he's got a river is. in his garden. Yeah, well, it, it, it does mean that there's no central heating as well. There are upsides and downsides for all of this. But um, uh, a log fire is jolly nice, yes. Well, I'll bet. And it's a and lovely I, yes, surrounding. I, you, you, the microphone is so good, it's picking up all these noises in the background, yes. So. And uh, it sounds like an idyllic surrounding for you to sit and write your blog. Uh, Joe, Search for Joe Blogs F1. I always lose track of where to find it. But if you search Joe Blogs F1... You'll find it. Of course, you can follow Joe at Joe Sayward on Twitter as well. Um, but you did a, a very, very long piece about how people in F1 are mean and weird. And I didn't read it because I don't do reading so good. But uh, that sounded like an interesting article people should go and check out. I did something about them being weird and mean. I yeah, didn't. you did. You was like, there, were about, there were about a sentence and a half about some people being silly people and then afterwards it was all about good people and inspiration oh and, no and joy and happiness i only and, got as far fluttering, <laughs> fluttering doves and and uh, you know people bearing olive leaves and all this sort of lark so it was about uh, a um a cartoonist called jean gratin who uh who did the who died this week and it was just to sort of say this man inspired an awful lot of people to get into racing um and cartoons are, are good for inspiring so let's have more cartoonists creating um, heroes in Formula One. I only got as far as the bit where people are mean. So I, I didn't see all the positive stuff. I didn't. Uh, but uh, this is also a good time of year to get people interested in GP, uh, GP Plus magazine, uh, which is carved into a wooden tree slice. And then you hand deliver that to everyone. It's a magazine. You call it's it magazine, not. but it's on wood. It's a, it's a, it's an online magazine. There's no paper involved. Never has been. It's um it's uh yeah. It comes out after every race, about six hours after each race. It's about a hundred pages. Tells you the story of what happened in a means that if you go back to it some years later, it still makes sense as opposed to the modern magazines, which are all bullet points. Uh, and when you go back and read them five years later, you haven't got the faintest idea what happened um, because it doesn't tell you. It only tells you the bullet point. You know that. Um, Sergio Perez tripped over his shoelaces and broke his leg, but he didn't tell you where he finished or even started. Anyway, there we are, whatever. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Still here with Joe Sayward bringing us inside F1. You mentioned Perez in one of your your links by the by the by you used him as an example you must have known that kev wanted to ask a question <laughs> he says in an effort i believe to troll me but i will not be irked says how easily will max beat sergio perez this year um similarly how easily will daniel beat lando this year they're both good questions um i don't think even as a, a staunch sergio perez supporter i am under no illusions that he is going in there as Max's number two. He's a utility driver for the year, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly. Uh, yeah, I'd say that is a, a sensible way of reading it. I think he'll be, I think he'll be very decent. Will he be any better than Alex Albon? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I think the Red Bull environment is a very strange place because if you look at what it did to Pierre Gasly, and then Pierre Gasly came back this last year and won a race. You know, let's not forget that. So Pierre Gasly couldn't hack it at Red Bull or wasn't allowed to hack it, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, And then is still capable of winning races with another team. So I think that uh, we'll just have to wait and see how it develops. Um, I think people underestimate how good Max is, just as I think people underestimate how good uh, Valtteri Bottas is. and to a large extent, I think also a lot of people underestimate how good Sergio Perez has been. So, you know, I think there's a lot of criticism out there for drivers, um, which isn't necessarily deserved. And uh, I think they, uh, an awful lot of them do extraordinarily good jobs all the time. Um, you know, that's why they're there. So uh, how it all pans out, I don't know. But, you know, all I can say is let's see. It will be fun to see, though, because if Perez goes there, is in the Mercedes pit window, is regularly kind of finishing fourth, let's say, whilst Max is going for his his wins, that kind of puts paid to to this argument that the second Red Bull car was undrivable, more or less. You know, that's what people will say. They will say, well, Albon and Gasly were just too experienced. On the, on the other hand, if he flails around and struggles... It backs up the argument that there's something inherently wrong with that second seat. So it is interesting. It's an interesting move. It is interesting. There's a, there's a huge difference, though, between um, Sergio and the other two, and which is that the other two were both much younger, not as experienced, and not as able to cope with pressure. Sergio Perez, at the same age, went to McLaren and made an absolute pig's ear of his time there. So, you know, but now he's 30 years old, he's learned. He's hardened. He's tougher. Uh, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but I think that just sort of you know, comparisons of people, you have to take into account their ability to soak up pressure and their ability to deal with difficult situations. And it's not just about age. It's about wisdom as well. It's also about support. 
And I think this is something where Formula One has largely yet to develop, and that is to understand the value of psychological support for the drivers. All this money is spent on cars and on drivers' um, physical uh, levels of everything. I mean, these things are tuned to the ultimate, the nth degree. And yet some of the drivers are left with no support. I think if you look this last year at Esteban Ocon and um, Alexander Albon, both of them very young. Um, okay, Ocon's been around, but he was out for a year. And at the beginning of the COVID uh, pandemic, Formula One didn't allow anybody into the paddock who, um, yeah, 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 anyone, anyone more than they could allow. Like they felt they could bubbles, allow. It got yeah. better as the, as the season went on. The support groups that are around drivers grew. grew and and as a result of that, I think that's why you saw Ocon get better. I think that's why you saw Albon get better because they weren't alone anymore. They weren't alone uh, in an alien environment under massive pressure. They had people to tell them, "Don't worry about. It. Focus on this. Do that." Da, 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 da. And teams aren't necessarily very good at that. Um, and if you look at you know if you look at Lewis, for example, you've got Toto, who is a very very good team boss he knows how to handle drivers uh, but you've also got mark hines who is kind of lewis's manager who is a british formula three champion of years gone by uh, who's a pretty sound solid individual um and who will say if he doesn't agree with things uh, you've got angela who's there looking after lewis's uh fitness and and you know there's a group of people around him that make him not question anything about himself he knows where he is he can be confident Botas has got a little bit the same, but Botas is also fundamentally tough. He's a tough individual. He's he's self-reliant, um, and he doesn't. But he's he's older than these other guys too. You know, he 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 hasn't. Uh, he he's had. I can't remember how many years he's been in Formula One. He's been in Formula One forever. Feels like it. Um, and so you've got to t- bear these things in mind, and it does have an impact. And often it is the adversity which young drivers learn from more than anything else. They get stronger. Gasly is way stronger now, having been at Red Bull and gone through all that grief. He's way stronger human being than he used to be um, because he's been in in pain. And, and pain and failure are the best possible means of driving you to success. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know if, you want, if you want good examples yeah. of that, it's very simple. Um, I don't know how many readers here know. The McLarens used to be called the MP4 something or other. Do you know why? Tell me. Well, because McLaren Project 4 was the uh, entity that McLaren International um, was the name of the team in the 1980s. And it was Project 4 because Ron Dennis had three previous projects that failed. And that taught him how to do it properly. Frank Williams was known for many years as Wicker Williams because he was so bad at running racing teams and they failed all the time. Okay. And yet he learned how to, he learned how to do it properly. And that's the whole point. You know, we can't all just turn up and, and be geniuses and, and get it right. First time. Mercedes didn't get it right. First time Mercedes. If you trace that team back, um, when it was in its BAR and Honda phases, it was, it was useless in terms of winning. It was, perfectly it was a perfectly decent racing team they couldn't win a damn thing and even as mercedes for the first 
uh, we think now 10, 11, 12, first four years, even with Michael Schumacher driving, even with an older Michael Schumacher driving, they weren't even in the ball game. So, you know, you have to, you have to look at, at, at what it takes to win and how it was that um, the team that is now winning everything got to that point. Now, Red Bull, we'll see. But, mm. um, you know, we'll see We'll see how things develop. But I think Red Bull are going to be worth watching this year because I think they need to do better chassis-wise. And Honda, this is their last chance. This is their last chance to save themselves from the shame of, of failing completely. I, I get on the Red Bull hype train every winter and I just, it breaks my heart when I see them not come out of the blocks and then it's more excruciating watching them develop over the course of the season and get better because you go, oh, if you'd have just had a competitive start point, um, you could get up there. Um, so I hope you're right. I hope they can do more. Um, you mentioned support bubbles there and um, Lando Norris came up in the original question, how easily will Daniel beat Lando this year? Now, Lando Norris has actually done a, a lot of public outreach about mental health. And, you know, you've got to you've got to think that there's some personal experience or something close to him, which is making him do that. And McLaren, hats off to McLaren, they've totally run with it. In the same way that Mercedes have run with Lewis Hamilton's concerns and pushes for diversity, McLaren seem to have really grabbed onto this, this mental health concern push um, as well. So I, I wonder how Lando Norris is actually holding up because he, he, he is definitely the clown prince of F1, for sure. Uh, you wonder, though, how much strain there is under the surface. And I'm actually worried, as a Lando Norris fan, about Daniel Ricciardo going there who is a larger-than-life personality, can be a very overbearing alpha male type, and, by the way, is blinking quick. So I've got a little bit of worry for Lando, for Lando this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I think, having said that, Lando stood up pretty well to Carlos, and Carlos is no slouch. Carlos is a, is a very good operator. And uh, so I think... I don't, I don't expect Lando to start falling apart or anything like that. Um... And I, you know, I think if you look, you know, people say, well, of course, you know, Daniel Ricciardo completely trounced Esteban Ocon. Yes, he did in the overall scheme of things. But after after about the mid season, when, when Ocon began to build up, it was very much uh, closer, and it was very much cat and mouse. And um, I haven't sat down to work out the numbers of who scored more points or whatever, da da. But you know, the fact was. And there were also other occasions, I think, where uh, Esteban, uh, the team organised that Esteban um, let Daniel go because they were on different strategies. There were things like yeah. that that also happened. Of course. Um, so I think that ultimately you look at you look at the results and you say, well, of course, Daniel blitzed him, and yes, he did up to some to, to some extent. He did, but uh, Esteban was also out for a year. Remember that, which does have an impact. So there's lots of reasons why. Um, and I don't think, for example, that that Fernando Alonso is going to blitz Esteban. We'll see. But I just, I don't know. Oh, I think he I is. Have, I, I think he is, though. <laughs> I think he is. I why think do Alonso... you think? Why do you think he is? He's I been just... out of Formula One for 150 years now. You know, he's 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 an he's an old bloke. Oh, he's tr he's exactly my age, and I feel pretty old, <laughs> to be fair. Um, no, no, but but in Formula One terms, he is. An old bloke. He's been out for a very long time. He's in up against the guy who is young, hungry. Okay, he was out for a year, but I don't think. I think that there's, there's. I want to see how it all develops, and I'm not entirely sure that the team is ready 
for an explosive combination like that. We'll have to see, particularly with Cyril having moved on. Um, I don't know what's going to happen there. Be yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, it, no it, look, it will be. But I, I know a lot of people don't like Fernando Alonso. Like him or loathe him, I think he's probably a class act as a driver. And I've just, I've just got this feeling he's going to get in, get his feet under the table, make the team dance like marionette puppets to his will. And I just think he's he's just a, a force of nature. He's one of those drivers up there with the very top Michael, drivers. Michael Schumacher came back from being the greatest thing since sliced mm. bread, retired, went off for four years and came back and never really figured at all on his comeback in what was a decent team. He even got beaten by Nico Rosberg on a fairly regular basis. So time moves on. Legends don't remain quick forever. And this is something that needs to be borne in mind. And all the Fernando fans out there think there's going to be no difference at all. He's been <laughs> trolling around in, in in sports cars, whatever. There'll be no different. He'll be just the same Fernando as ever before. Blah, 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 blah. We'll see. I don't know. I'm not going to pass judgment on it, but I don't think that people should just write off, you know, oh, well, it's Fernando Alonso. He's going to be this, that, and the other. He might not be. It might just be a horrible disaster. You're ruining it. You're ruining Alonso coming back I'm not, to F1. I'm not, ru- I'm not ruining it because it will be just as good a story <laughs> yeah. if, if it's a disaster <laughs> as if it's a success, to be honest. It will be uh, because you can bet that if it's not going his way, Fernando's toys will be flying out the pram mm. at great speed and that'll provide some entertainment for everybody, yeah, I'm well, sure. But if that's what you want, perhaps not for Fernando himself. But, um, you know, it depends why you're watching Formula One. But I don't think we should just leap to conclusions about how he's definitely going to be this and definitely going to be that. I don't think it's going to be that easy. It will be an interesting season for Ocon fans. Co-host Matt Trumpets, a massive Ocon Fossi. And uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be a rough or brilliant time. Because if Ocon turns up and just wipes the floor with Fernando Alonso, that is amazing for his reputation. It's going to be great. Yes, it is. But, Mm. you know, Esteban Ocon is clearly a very big talent. And I think that uh, he's had a, a rough time, but rough times, as I said before, are good. Um, mm. They teach you stuff. It's character building. But it is character building, although to be fair to Esteban, his, his, his background to get to Formula One was character building enough. He probably doesn't need any more. But nonetheless. Um, <laughs> My character's you know, is, fine. Stop he, kicking me. <laughs> exactly but sometimes people are unlucky like that you know like life just uh, it builds up against them and you know so other people just sail on through and it works for them so we'll see but Fine. there's lots of different things right through the field which are good, good storylines if you're looking for a good season I mean, so many let's have lance stroll versus sebastian vettel that'll be fun won't it be interesting to see so. how that goes um it will be interesting to see how carlos Sainz does against um charles leclerc um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, McLaren and the new engine, what happens with, I'm fascinated to see what will happen down at um, Alfa Romeo, although everything's the same as last year. I'm not sure it's going to remain that way. Because uh, you can't just, cru- well, just cruising around at the back is not really what Alfa Romeo want to do. So, um, well, their, drive, their, see how that- their driver choice suggests different, doesn't it, Joe? They- well, their driver choice was perhaps forced upon them. Um you know, it's an interesting situation there, but I think um, I just sense that change is coming. And, and the word on the street is that there was an awful lot of due diligence going on at Sauber in the period up 
before Christmas when accountants emerged and rushed in to have a look at all the books. And and that's not saying there's anything wrong with the books. It's just saying, is this thing um, a viable? That's what they were doing. They were looking at it from a point of view saying, is this thing a viable operation um, for a potential buyer? So clearly there's something going on there. It is not a coincidence that uh, the world's fourth biggest car company has been formed in the last few days. I mean, the last few days has been going on for a year and a half, but Stellantis, i.e. the merger between Peugeot and Fiat, is finally confirmed. Mm. And that ultimately is now the parent company of, guess what? Ferrari. Romeo. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> no, it's not. Ferrari is part, not part of it. Oh, okay, sorry. Ferrari is different to Stellantis. It is, an, it is another company completely. So... Stellantis, fourth biggest car company, headed by the man who used to be chief operating officer at Renault, who drives racing cars in his spare time. Okay. Uh, Cyril disappearing off from Renault in a strange way. Oddly enough, a longtime ally of Mr. Carlos Tavares, who is now head of Stellantis. So I think things are happening. I don't know what is exactly going to happen, but I think just watch out there because I think things will change. Wait, wait, wait. So hang yes. on a minute. So we've not seen the last of, of Cyril? Because Stuart was asking, with Cyril gone, is the Renault engine deal more interesting for Red Bull? Uh, firstly, look, let, let, let's give this some space on its own. Why did Cyril Abitable leave Renault F1 team? Do you know? Well, we don't know. Guess. Because when I, I think he's got something a better offer. Because when I last saw... Either that or, or the new boss of Renault, Luca Di Meo, is, is, a, is a nasty bit of work. He's a very good actor, which I don't think he is. I felt I, I had a good feeling with him when I, when I first encountered him. And he and, and Cyril seemed to be in, in a sort of mutual love affair. This is in when we were at Monza, whenever that was, because, of course, uh, last year's calendar was so messed up that the months that things are supposed to have happened are all different. But anyway, they, they appeared together and it seemed like everything was going well and that Cyril had a position. And suddenly, out of the blue almost, Cyril's gone. And it was the tone of the of the farewell press release as well, which completely and utterly uh, interested me. Explain. Because it was it was a lovey-dovey thing. It was, Cyril's done a great job. We all love Cyril. And Cyril's saying, yes, Renault's a wonderful company, but I've decided to leave. Uh, that leaves a number of question marks in my mind. Why would you do that? Why would you leave of your own accord? Now, maybe he was fired, hence my point about De Mayo being not necessarily, he might, he might just be a devious shit. I don't know. But the fact is, you can, you can edit that. You can bleep but it. I'd whatever. rather not, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he might be a devious fellow so and so might be you know he might be more of a machiavellian figure than i have been led to imagine but i my impression at the end of it all was that cyril may be going off to do some other job somewhere else um now that may be wrong it's just it's just weird that you have such a lovey-dovey farewell press releases, which is not normal. When somebody gets fired, they don't usually have these sort of, um, it's been terrific working here. Thanks, Renault, for the fantastic opportunity you gave me. And Cyril's a great job, yeah. a pillar to this organization, blah de blah blah and, and by the way, he's not there anymore. Um, so I don't know. And leaving the whole Renault empire is is also quite dramatic. You know, if you're a, if you're a Frenchman, um, who's worked for Renault for 20 years, you don't just walk away that easily unless there's something else to go to. Mm. Um, we'll see. But I'm, I mean, 
I'm I'm curious more than anything else. It may be, it may just be that um, he's gone because he's gone. But I don't think Cyril did a bad job. You see, some people do. I don't think he did. If you ask me how, yeah, hang on. If you ask me how he did at Caterham, I would say he did an awful job at Caterham. But I think, like most people, you learn from your mistakes, and I think that Cyril learned how not to do it at Caterham, and then became much better at doing it, um, and particularly playing. Um, not just not just uh, playing political. It's not games. Just just mastering the politics of Renault. Quite hard to do, and I think he did that very well. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, as an engine supplier, yeah, he had a fallout with Christian Horner, but you know, so what? They 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 were pretty unpleasant about Renault, uh, if truth be told. Which is why, you know, at the end of the day, they had to come crawling back to get the engines. They had to call it something else because Renault didn't want to know. You know, and they got a free ride off Renault for many years. To be honest, Renault did all the did all the publicity, and Red Bull got all the credit. Um, sorry, I I should have said publicity there. Renault did all the engineering, gotcha, and getting it right, and Red Bull got all the credit for it. And in the end, they stuck an Infinity badge on it, uh, which didn't really help Renault at all. I mean, they were part of the Renault partnership, but. Um, you know, the reason Renault came back is that all this money they'd spent in Formula One was not being properly used. So in 14 or whenever it was, they came back with a, with a goal to win the world championship as Renault. And they've been building up to it slowly and not always successfully, but it's been moving in the right direction. And that's why it surprised me. Yeah, The, the switch to Alpine made a lot of sense as well. Alpine, by the way, do you know the man who organized for Alpine to exist again? No. Carlos Carlos Tavares. That name again. Now boss of Stellantis. It was him. <laughs> it was his I it wasn't his idea in total, but Caterham provided him with the money to do it. And he did it. And you know, if you look back in the history of Alpine, you'll find that Carlos Tavares is important in the revived brand that is now racing against um the other Formula One teams. So we'll, I haven't, we haven't seen the last of Tavares yet. So just let's keep an eye on that for a while. Uh, okay. And, and we haven't seen the last of Cyril maybe either then. I don't think we have, but you never know. Ooh, interesting. That was so weird, that relationship with Christian Horner in particular. We've heard from Matthew Carter that he can be reasonably difficult on a principal to principal relationship level. But like... Who, who, which, which, which he are you talking about? Christian or, or, um, or Cyril? Uh, oh, sorry. Um, well, I meant Cyril, but um, I'm sure they're both. Okay. Yeah. Sure no, they're... Cyril. Cyril in the in the period where Matthew was around, I'm sure could be quite difficult. He's a prickly fella, but he's also he's not stupid at all. He's a very mm. clever man, and I think that he he learned a little bit more about how to manage people, which is always you know you can be a very brilliant man, but if you can't manage people, you're never going to be a, a great team boss. Uh, and I think he learned. Um, where his strengths and weaknesses were. And I think that he tried to build on those. So this is why I, I, I'm a little bit surprised by it all. But having said that, you know, uh, Jerome Stoll, uh, the president of Renault Sport disappearing, may have had an influence as well. Alain Prost um, being there on the board may have had a different. Alain can be a political animal. Let's just say that. Um, and, well, we'll see how things develop. I don't know. But, um, you know, maybe maybe Luca de Mayo was listening to Alain Prost and Alain Prost was saying we need somebody else. But I don't know. I don't know. 
Sometimes, and that's one of yeah. the one of the things that is going to be interesting to watch is how that whole team develops now. Sometimes when Joe says he doesn't know, it means he kind of knows. <laughs> so let's th- let's de- dive deep into something that you might kind of know. Uh, Noel asks, when can we expect a Lewis contract or even can we expect one? Now, myself, Joe, I, I'm in no doubt the team's shaping up to to stay with Lewis Hamilton. I, it would be it would be sensational now, wouldn't it? It would be the most unlikely thing if he didn't sign a contract and didn't race for Mercedes this year. Well, it's completely unthinkable that Lewis Hamilton is just going to say, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, he's he's equaled Michael Schumacher's record. He can beat it this year. Why, in the name of God, would Lewis Hamilton walk out and go over a question of money? He doesn't yeah. need money. The last thing Lewis Hamilton needs is any more money. <laughs> and if it was a money problem mm. anyway, Mercedes-Benz could say, look, this is how much we can pay. We'll do we'll do personal contracts with sponsors and make up the difference. That's that's clearly not the issue, because it can be fixed very quickly. Uh, money is just money, and they, for Lewis, they'll find it if they need to find it. So, what can it be? Yeah, status? No, Lewis is clearly going to be the number one, and he's not going to not have a contract saying Valtteri Bottas will be allowed to win races. So it can't be that. Um, what it could be is the fact that Lewis's demands. Uh, for, I don't know, lifelong ambassadorships with Mercedes or something like that that, might might be part of it. Um, It might be that that while Mercedes is broadly in support of Lewis's um, political uh, motivations, it's not fully in support of him. I don't know. Or doesn't want to go further. I'm just just thinking about maybe they just want to have a discussion about how far it should go. Sure. Maybe that's what's taking a lot of time. Maybe Lewis Lewis has said many times over and over, you know, that, that these political stuff means more to me now. It gives me more satisfaction than winning races, which is which is interesting. But it doesn't mean he doesn't want to win more races. You know, Lewis is not because um, you know, quite frankly, if he was to do that, Lewis Hamilton's position as a sort of um a political force evaporates with the with with the, the drive. You know, Formula One people are in the spotlight because they're in Formula One. Mm. If they're no longer in Formula One, they're not in the spotlight. And even the most fervent um, self-promoters uh, like Briatori barely get a look in these days because they're not in it anymore. They're no. just, you know, they're there jumping up and down, screaming, putting on silly shirts, you know. Um, let's talk about Eddie Jordan. Um, you know, anything to get a bit of publicity back. Yeah. And... Uh, so, you know, it's not the right move. If Lewis wants to have um, things, if he wants to change the world, he needs to stay in Formula One. So there's whatever it is, it's complicated. It's taking time. But is he going to not race? For, no, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. From everyone's point of view, it's certainly from his point of view, if he wasn't racing in 2021, it would be a disaster on pretty much every level. And he's smart enough to know that. I read a fairly interesting article in Italian, and which I did a sloppy Google Translate on. Apologies, I, I can't remember the article, but it was an interview with um, Stefano Dominicali. And whilst we know that all people associated with Ferrari are gen- generally evil, it's a generalisation. I know there are some good Ferrari people. Uh, Stefano Dominicali really does strike me as like a proper, decent, nice dude. Um, and he was talking about the prospect of Hamilton's 
title, much the same as you saying, hey, you know, he's on the verge of history. Like he really can make this wonderful history. And he was bigging it up as like a wonderful thing for F1. And he seemed hopeful and confident of a, of a contract. I'm sure that's true. And uh, first of all, I agree entirely about Stefano. Stefano is one of the the good guys. Uh, he's he's fair. He's sensible. He's he's just all round good fellow. And when he was appointed, it was like sort of oh, thank goodness for that. We've got someone who's yeah. sensible. Um, and he will have a little bit. I mean, Chase was very good at what he did, but Chase didn't really have a, the sort of uh, the connection with the media world. For example, he was always very very. Um, uh, uncomfortable, I think, is the word in front of the spotlights. He wasn't. Stefano's done it. He, you know, you've been CEO at Ferrari, sorry, racing Ferrari. You've been the boss of yeah. team principal of Ferrari for how many years he was in charge of it. You can just about live with the press. You know how to handle it. You know. So Chase never really got that. He just no. He just talked in in uh, not in corporate riddles, but it sounded like it sometimes. Um, and he just wasn't comfortable, clearly. And that wasn't his that wasn't his forte. Now we'll see how Stefano does, but I think he's proved along the way that he's a, a very sensible fellow. Uh he's proved that he's a can think strategically. He's proved that he has lots of talents. And I don't think I know anybody who doesn't like him. Ah, uh, uh, that's good. So he's universally there, popular. There, there may there may be people out there who don't like him, but I'm not sure I know any of them. So um We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, but I can't think of anybody who who has a dis, you know absolute distaste for. Which normally in Formula One you find somebody who doesn't like you. I I, I always find people. I don't know what that's about. You, speaking from personal <laughs> experience, Joe. <laughs> I am very much so, but um, no, Stefano's just just one of those people. You just think, yeah, I can understand that. I see that. What a sensible thing to do. And and he knows how to present corporate level. He knows how to do. So many things. So I think he's terrific. And I think he's absolutely right about Lewis. Why why would you you walk away from that? It just doesn't make sense. So I think I, I don't know why it's taking so long, but it has to be something like that. And Toto's, you know, none of these guys are stupid. They're very clever people. Um and Toto's probably not forcing it along either. He he knows that Lewis is going to come to the party at the end of the day. So, you know, does it really matter when they put you know, Lewis has got his thing to say. Lewis, uh, Toto will say, well, actually, no, I want to do this. They'll have a discussion. It'll go on a bit. Da, 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 da. And, of course, they can't easily meet up either at the moment because of the way things are mm-hmm. in the world. It, so it makes it a bit more complicated. But, you know, I'm sure it'll all happen in the end. Awesome. It's lovely to have a Joe Saywood matinee of a Friday afternoon. But our time is very nearly at an end. I'm going to ask you five Quick fire questions, right? Five quick fire, and they're all, will this race happen? Okay, 28th of March, Bahrain. Are we going? Yes. Awesome. 18th of April, Monza. Oh, oh Imola, Imola, sorry, Imola. Don't know. Oh, don't know. Um, TBC, are we going to TBC? Is that going to be all open at TBC land? Portimao? Portugal, Portugal, but right now Portugal's in a god-awful mess. That's the 2nd of May. 9th of May, Barcelona. Are we going to Barcelona? At the moment, I see no reason why not. Awesome. Then got, and then Monaco on the 23rd. We didn't have a Monaco this year. What's the problem yeah, there? it's a tough one. Are they more restricted? Are well, they? No, they have to invest a large amount of money in building the circuit. And if there's no... Okay, let's assume they don't build the circuit and they run it for no fans. Are they going to do that? Because you're still going to have to invite a whole 
thousands and thousands of people into Monaco, all of whom might have COVID. Don't know. I understand why there's a there's a there's a pressure. I think the important point is that the calendar that they've come up with this year, all the people on that calendar, including Australia and China, said when they were formulating the calendar back in October, November, they all said, We can do this, we want to do this, um, this is what we think we can do. Now, we've since discovered that Australia and China have had to bow to government pressure. Well, whoop-de-doo, big surprise there. You know, we just have to be sensible. So where we end up is where uh, COVID is controlled and the governments are sensible. Now, if that makes sense, um, you know, you, we'll go to countries where they'll fill the grandstands with people not caring a tiny little bit about COVID. We will go to places like that. They will be scary to go to. I will not necessarily like being there. But I did it last year. And you know there were you can work it out how many places had people in the grandstands and I you know it wasn't a happy it wasn't a happy situation. You weren't happy about it, sensible. Joe. Oh, you hit that well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't in the grandstands, but you know the yeah. fact of the matter is that I, I I'm not I'm not comfortable in a pandemic with people mm. all standing on top of each other cheering and thinking that it's not going to matter whether they wear masks or not because that is that's just primordial it's rubbish it's just not clever we will have f1 in 2021 it will be awesome we will have fun um another place people can have fun before we go joe is uh, your live virtual audiences you normally you do it um when you're at racetracks around the world you invite people into a room to ask you questions and the whole evening is led by those questions during this whole pandemic year you have been doing live virtual audiences where people can uh, pay you a fee, come and sit in a Zoom call of 50 people and and, and ask their questions. Um, they've been a lot of fun uh, to sit in on. And you have another one coming up on Friday the 29th. Um, so we can link to that in the show notes for you, Joe. Um, also, you can go and find details. Where have you posted links and ticket links on your websites? Oh, twi- Twittery things. Twittery things. Have you done like it on that. Twitter? Okay. Uh, go and find Joe at Joe Saywood. Yes, there we are. That's all good stuff. And there's also the blog, Joe Blogs F1, with one G. There we go. I, I th- I'm, I'm sure the link will appear in a, in a blog of some sort at some point. Joe, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for joining us in the shed. Uh, we've been Missed Apex. I'm still Spanners. You can follow the show at Missed Apex F1, or you can follow me at Spanners Ready. We'll see you on Sunday for a live panel stream and please ca- go and catch our iRacing efforts uh, we put on a whole show with the race go and find Miss Apex Motorsport on YouTube wherever we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was Miss Apex See you later, guys. We're out of here. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.